0: I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It is my distinct honor to be able to greet you all today from this sacred space. If you have not read in your bulletin, I am Mark Jefferson, and I am the assistant professor of homiletics at Virginia Theological Seminary. And so for those who are responsible for my invitation here, I am thoroughly, thoroughly pleased. And I hope our time together is beneficial. I see many dignitaries and important people and the like. Um, So I beg your pardon if I don't shout you out. Um, But there's one person I do want to recognize. Um, There would be no Reverend Dr. Mark Jefferson if there was not Dr. David Pacini. He wrote one of my recommendation letters to get into the PhD program here at Emory. And so to see him at my graduation receive an award meant so much to me, but then to see him here, worshiping with us and to play a part in the celebration means a tremendous amount. I am here because our seminary is engaged in a unique work. Virginia Seminary is turning 200 years old in 2023. And if you know, please clap. That's where I get paid. Keep slack. And if you know our dean and president, you know that he is a gentleman of many ideas and much passion. And dean Markham came to me one day and said, Would you be interested in preaching 200 sermons around the world leading up to our bicentennial? Before I did the short math, I said yes. <laughs> I didn't go to school for that, (laughs) and so for the last year and some change, I have been traveling this country and soon the world preaching and making people aware of the passion and the power of Christian preaching, and so I'm honored that I get a chance to share this opportunity with you, and if you're curious about that, please go to our Virginia website. For the time that's ours today, I'd like to share with you from this thought at this Rooted in Jesus conference, this place where we're going to get sustenance for our journey. For the time that's ours today, I'd like to share with you from this thought, confronting comfortable Christology. We're going to confront comfortable Christology. If I had to give it a subtitle, I'd say, let's go back to Galilee. Let us go back to Galilee. My time here in Atlanta for graduate school was one of fond memories and tremendous opportunities for growth. I've had the blessed occasion to read many great books. One of the books that has ministered to me in some of my darkest hours as a theologian professor and just a black man in America has been Howard Thurman's Jesus in the Disinherited. If you're not familiar with Howard Thurman, he is the African-American scholar, mystic, seminary um, preacher. One who has pushed Christianity forward in the 20th century. And in his book, this little book of 100 or so pages, accompanied Dr. King everywhere he went. Jesus and Disinherited was a book in which Howard Thurman said, It is difficult, if not impossible, to understand the good news of Jesus Christ without understanding the context that brought about the need for good news. It is easy to miss the power and the potency of the cure if you're not fully aware of the mendacity of the illness. So, Howard Thurman saying that Western Christianity has fallen in love with the Jesus that's high and lifted up, one that we sing songs to, one that we prostrate and worship, but yet that deep spiritual devotion has not translated, it has not found full body form in the ways in which we treat self, neighbor, and the creation that we all share together. Howard Thurman said that if we are going to be authentic Christians, We must not just seek to keep our worship here in the beautiful cathedrals that adorn our tradition. Howard Thurman says we must get our hands dirty going back to the earthen times of first century Palestine. We must understand that to preach liberation in a context of oppression is embodied risk. And maybe Christianity would be more vital. It might be more pungent, it might be more potent if we are able to shun some of the comfortable ways that we have considered Christ and if jettisoned the ease of our theological malaise and if we're willing to deepen our ways of understanding the carpenter from the sticks of the Roman Empire. Jacqueline Grant, she offers thought as this as well. She, Jacqueline Grant says that in White Woman's Christ, Black Woman's Jesus, that the feminist project to deconstruct modern Christology, though helpful by many white women, is fraught with the same racism that is baked into the heterosexual preferences of the writers of the day. So she's saying, yes, my white sisters, I hear you. But she's saying maybe a critique of Christology is to go back to that carpenter from Nazareth. By understanding that Jesus was a person who bled and cried and walked and had parents, by understanding these things, puts us in the position to then appreciate Jesus and the power of the gospel all the more. Now... I am grateful for the tradition that I've been handed in its messy, complicated, and oftentimes confusing form. Being a Christian, particularly being Episcopal adjacent, as I am. I'm not quite Episcopalian, but I'm living next door watching a yard. So by being Episcopal adjacent, it gives me a way of appreciating the traditions that we've been handed, but at the same time, if we are going to be rooted in Jesus, then we need to be rooted in Jesus, and not just Jesus Christ. See, see, we, we, we are much like the church here in Colossae, where The writer, some believe to be Paul, others believe influenced by Paul, is writing to this church who is struggling with different heresies and doctrines. And at Colossae, the writer is trying to extol to us the virtues and the mystery and the power of Christ. And I think our worship camps out in this chapter and in this book. We love to lift Jesus up. There's nothing like reveling theologically about the mysteries of God. But what happens when reveling in the mysteries of God is not enough? What happens when singing the songs of Zion is not enough? We can camp out in this comfortable Christology that allows us to stay insulated and warm while the world rages and sees on the outside of our steps. So could it be today as we gather here to be further rooted in Jesus that we're being asked, dare I say commanded, to rethink Christology for the 21st century? Because how can we fulfill the Great Commission? How can we go, therefore, and teach and preach, and baptize, and make disciples. When the person that we say people should be like, we present and represent in such a feeble, toast, and middle-class manner. Maybe we have fallen in love with the Jesus of the empire. We have come to venerate the Jesus of our culture, the Jesus of our political tastes, the Jesus of our ideological convictions. But maybe we would be better served if we are able to go back to Galilee. Jesus here in Matthew 28, he tells the women, hey, go tell those guys who left me hanging. There's a whole nother sermon for that right there. But I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. But if I had the time, I'd say it's amazing who God gives the word to. It's amazing who God gives revelation to. And if those women would not have carried the word, where would we be today? But that's not where I'm going. What I'm saying is that Jesus gives his word to the women to say, go tell those fellas who had to find something else to do when I was dying for their sins that I'm back. Wherever they're hiding, whatever they're doing, tell them that I'm back. But don't meet me in Jerusalem. Don't meet me in Egypt. He says... I want you to tell them to meet me in Galilee. So, what? What's so special about this backwater province? What's so special about places that are so inconsequential? Someone had the nerve to say, Can anything good come from Nazareth? So, why would Jesus resurrected? on his way back to the Father, why would he tell these gentlemen, before you go out to the whole wide world, before you try to make disciples and engage in the work that I've set you to do, why would Jesus say you need to go back to Galilee? Maybe Jesus is saying that the gospel that you might preach if you don't go back to Galilee might be insufficient because you need to go back to the place in which people were being hung on crosses and the Roman government was crushing dissent you need to go to the place where excessive taxation crippled the livelihood of many people yes you've been around me and you've seen God manifest blessings and break bread and feed thousands and maybe your perspective can be jaded because you've been around me in close quarters so long but It might strengthen your faith. It might actually jog your sense of spiritual vitality to go back to the place where Jesus thought ministry was important. He said that I think that ministry belongs to those who are the least, the last, the lost, and the left behind. Jesus being a street preacher didn't go to VTS, Harvard, Gale, or Emory. Jesus said that what I received came from my time with the Father, and I will share that wherever I go. So here's what's interesting about this. If we want to be rooted in Jesus, if we want to have stake in the kingdom, then going back to the ways in which the gospel touches the real world is actually what we need to do. Before he says, go ye therefore, he says go back. Go check your Christian roots. If you're going to follow me, you need to go back to the places that I found important. Look in the eyes of those who I saw their humanity. I healed them because I loved them. And I loved them because I saw them. But, if you don't see them because you're so inwardly focused on liturgy and worship and collecting, building money, you might miss the opportunity for something magical. So we stand here at the crossroads being firmly rooted in our Episcopal faith, Episcopal denomination, our traditions. We're firmly rooted in that. But what if that root is not deep enough? Being rooted in your particular religious tradition may not be enough anymore. Being rooted in your political ideology may not be enough anymore. Being rooted in who you think you are may not be enough anymore. I don't know about you, but when I read the newspaper, when I go on the phone, (laughs) when I see the reality of this world, I see a world begging for the good news. While we preach, I ain't news. We preach, eh, news. We preach, I'll be better next week news. But this world is waiting for a church to come alive. It's waiting for preachers to preach with passion. It's waiting for people to teach with love. And that's what the world is waiting on. So they're asking us, to leave these places and go ye therefore. I had a plant. I had a plant when I lived off of Paces Ferry, north of here. And I had, it was a big, beautiful plant. A friend of mine came to my apartment. He said, Jefferson, are you trying to kill this poor plant? Leaves half brown. It's fighting for life. It's fighting for life. I said, brother, what's the problem? He said, look, man, you're going to kill this plant because the pot is too small. He said, look, man, I didn't get my degree in this. (laughs) But maybe what you're growing in the pot has now grown to a sufficient size that it needs to be extricated from the pot and placed in something more vital, more fervent, something that's able to give it room to grow. So I took his advice, and after he left, of course, I couldn't show him that he was right when I was there. When he was there. <laughs> I had to let him leave, and then. And so I began to try to take the plant out of the pot. So I turned it upside down, and I hit the pot. I can't tell you what I said because we're in here. But I, I hit the pot, and I hit it, and it finally came out. What I found to be true was what my friend said. He said that those roots are all knotted up. They're all tangled because they spent so long inside the pot that it's its possibility of growth has been greatly diminished. So I finally put it into something larger and then I decided to just plant it outside. And when I thought about that, I thought about my Christian journey. Oftentimes we are planted in places and in things to nourish us to grow and to develop. But oftentimes if we stay comfortable in our denominational pots, our ideological pots, in our relationship pots, we will see that our growth becomes to hinder itself. Our our ability to be, our fullest potential is gnarled and twisted up by our desires to thrive and live. So God seeing that says, I want to save you and make you vital for this age. So let me extricate you. Let me hit the pot of your certainty and hit the pot of your your ideals and your perceived notions. And God will continue to shake your situation until you're nothing left but hanging roots. Now, this is why I love God, because God will plant us in places for us to be more fervent. God will plant us in places that need our attention, our care, and our love. But if we resist leaving the pots of our comfort, we will miss the vitality of the gospel. I said all that to say, my sisters and brothers, the text says that thankfulness is the fruit of our rootedness in God. I don't preach because I feel compelled out of doubt, I don't preach because I feel compelled out of fear. I preach because I am thankful that I'm rooted in Jesus. That it doesn't matter what I've been through. I know that I've been rooted in Jesus. There's some people here who know what it's like to have doubt, but you're still rooted in Jesus. You've been through disaster at church and at home. But you're still rooted in Jesus. You don't know how you're going to pay the parish's light bill or the mortgage or how you're going to do the renovations. But you're still rooted in Jesus. No matter what you've been through in life, I stop by here to tell you that you have been rooted in Jesus. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, you have been grounded in the rock of our salvation. One that will hold you in the midnight hour. As you go back to a world that blusters and blows, that seeks to howl with this winds of ferocity, tell those winds, tell that devil, tell those people that it is me who is rooted, grounded in Jesus. Will you confront the complacency of your own Christology? Will you allow that God to move you To the nations of the earth, or will you die in the pot of your comfort? The choice is yours.